values uh, here at Coastal Community Church. And uh, last week, uh, Pastor Sean came and spent some time working through just the core value of love, uh, love of God and love of neighbor. And this morning, we're concluding uh, by spending some time on accountability. Uh, And so uh, we have been through um, watchfulness, authenticity, love, and then this morning accountability. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 14. Uh, We're going to look just at verse 12, but really we're going to kind of move around in the Scriptures. And so uh, I would just encourage you to grab your Bible because most of the Scriptures that I'm going to work through this morning uh, aren't going to be up on the screen. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, um, there is one in the chair in front front of you um, in the uh, version that I will be preaching from, the English Standard Version. If you don't own a Bible, I would encourage you to take that one home and, uh, and read it, and by God's grace uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit, be changed by it. So Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 12 is where we're going to be, and I just want to give us a, a bit of a working definition for accountability. I believe that it's in your notes in the bulletin there, um, but this is kind of the definition that I'm going to be working from this morning. Accountability is being responsible to give an answer, a report, or justification of your life to God. Accountability is being responsible to give an answer, report, or justification of your life to God. In Romans 14, 12, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who's preserved this word pure throughout all ages, he says this, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this this morning, God, we've been reminded that you're holy. God, you're high and lifted up. And apart from the intervening work of Jesus, you're unapproachable. But God, we're able to approach you because we're covered in the righteousness of Christ. And so God, I pray this morning, Lord, that your word would be clear to us. That your Holy Spirit would help us to listen, God, and to actively listen and to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, God, and that Just this morning, as we've been reminded through song and through prayer of the finished work of Jesus, I pray that Christ even now would be exalted. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So each of us will give an account of himself to God. If you're taking notes, I'm just going to jump right in. Accountability to God is universal, it's universal. Which is to say that everybody stands before God. Everybody stands before God. Paul says that that each of us is going to give an account of himself. And, And just think for a moment of the gravity of that statement. Just think about that for a minute. Each one of us will stand before God and give an account of himself, of herself. 
A couple of verses earlier, the Apostle Paul, he quotes Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 45, and, and over the course of the sermon this morning, we're going to kind of look at Isaiah a few times in, in some of his, his prophecies, his words, but the Apostle Paul, he quotes Isaiah, and it says in, in verse, the second part of verse 10 on through verse 11, he says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, and here's where he goes to quote Isaiah, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. It reminds us almost of Philippians chapter 2, doesn't it? Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. This is where every single person ever created, all throughout history, those yet to be born, this is where they wind up, giving account to God. And it will end in a knee that's bent. It will end in a tongue that confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Paul here, he's quoting Isaiah, and and Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 45, uh, the context of it is is Isaiah's talking about the exclusivity of the gospel. He's he's telling the Israelites that, and and those that that worship false gods and, and pursue these fleeting sinful pleasures, that there's only one God, and that God is Yahweh. And, and there's only one way to have peace with God, and we will give an account to him. Now, Isaiah is reminding people that only the God of Israel is the Savior. That's what's going on in Isaiah chapter 45. That's, what, uh, that's really what would have been brought to the forefront of the minds of the Roman church that Paul was speaking to, that, that the only Savior is the God of Israel, and, and the case that the Apostle Paul is making and what we know to be true because we have the complete canon of Scripture is that that Savior is Jesus Christ. That's the only way to have peace with God is through our only mediator, Jesus Christ. So think again about the moment that you'll stand before God and you'll give an account. Think again about that moment. I, I, I think about my sins, my particular sins, those sins that, that I committed a long time ago, those sins that, that I committed last week, those sins that I committed yesterday, those sins that I committed this morning on the way to church. Like I think about those particular sins, those sins that, that I hate, that, that bring me misery, But for some reason, because of my sin nature, I embrace at times. I think about my particular sins. And then I think I'm going to give an account to God. I'm going to give an account to God. My lusts, my pride, my my greed, my lies and my anger, my hatred, my slothfulness. The list goes on and on and on. And if I stand before God, and if I must give an account, I have no case to argue. I, 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 I can't argue with the God of the cosmos who's holy, 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 and who created me. I have no case. This past week, I, um, I had to go to court. I got a speeding ticket in a speed zone and I like to think of myself as a relatively safe driver, but Pastor Sean's been my mentor for 15 years, and he's a terrible driver. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, 
But I decided to go to court. I wanted to see if the court would be forgiving. I was caught speeding, and I was speeding 40 and a 25. And uh, a friend of mine is a lawyer. And if you've never had a lawyer go to court for a speeding ticket on your behalf, I highly recommend it. Uh, my court appointment was at 3 p.m., and he had me out of there by 2.58 p.m. I don't even know how that works. Um, <laughs> But uh, I asked him if he'd come and represent me uh, because of the nature of the ticket, and he agreed. So we went to court, and, and I didn't have a case, but my lawyer friend, he stepped in, and he spoke for me. He opened his mouth, and he spoke for me. I didn't speak a word to the judge. The only thing I said to the judge is, thank you. That's what I said to the judge, thank you. And, uh, and the judge, he listened to my lawyer friend's plea for me and, uh, and, and, and dismissed it for me or, or knocked it down or whatever it is that they do in the court system. And, and as I was driving home, I thought about two things that, that happened in the courtroom. The first is this. My lawyer friend stepped in and he spoke on my behalf. He stood, he stood in the gap for me and he spoke for me. And then the second thing that I thought about is that uh, this judge... He, he wanted to be merciful to me. Like, I could see it in his eyes. Like, he, he wanted to grant me mercy. I broke the law. I deserved the ticket. I deserved the points on my license. I deserved my insurance going up because of it. And I stood before the judge, and he gave me mercy. He, he withheld from me what I deserved. And, and I began to think God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, I, I began to think about that. And, and that's a human judge in a human courtroom with a lawyer friend representing me. Yet as I stood there, I, rem, I was reminded that one day I'm going to stand before the sovereign judge of the universe. Like, I'm going to stand before him. And, and Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then I began to think again of the prophet Isaiah, because I, I was thinking, man, well, you know, my, my lawyer friend, the, the, the unique thing about it was he tried to, to tell the judge, well, you know, look at his speeding record. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have tickets. His record's good. This is kind of a one-time thing. And he began to try to tout some sort of good works. And I began to think of the, the prophet Isaiah who said, we've all become like one who's unclean, and our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Polluted garment. Even the good stuff that I do is so saturated with sin. It's so saturated with mixed motives and other just impure, uh, uh, impure motives. Our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And... and I can't stand before our supreme judge, our sovereign judge, and, and give him an account and say, listen, I know that I did some bad things, but look at some of these good things that I did. Let me, let me just give you some, let me, let me go through some of the things. I've kept an account, I've kept a record of my good stuff, and let me just submit that to you, and, uh, and, and I, I hope that you'd give me an acquittal based on that. God spoke through Isaiah, said our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before a holy God. I don't have any good works in, in comparison to the Lord. 
He's perfect. He's righteous. He's holy. And He's just. And He's our judge. Yet get this. He wants to grant me mercy. He wants to grant me mercy. He wants to give me grace despite the fact that I have nothing to offer Him but my sin. As I looked in the eyes of the judge this past week, I was reminded of the kindness of our God. I was reminded of that. I have a good, merciful judge, and and I have Jesus who pleads on my behalf to the Father and and takes my sins upon himself, and, and he rinsed my sins in his blood. That's what Christ did for me. If you're taking notes, you're beginning to see that our accountability to God is good because God's good. If a sinful judge this past week granted me mercy, how much more does this good God offer and extend mercy and grace to me? Wouldn't it be awful to give an ultimate account to someone that is just as fallen and sinful as you are? It would be a terrible thing. It would be a terrible thing. Psalm 25, 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He's, He's the one that's qualified to instruct sinners because he's good and he's upright. 1 Chronicles 16, 34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. We just got done singing about that, didn't we? Now, a couple of things that we need to hold in our heads. One is this, that God's character and his emotions, they don't change. We don't have to do guesswork about the mood our God is in. He's not some judge that we catch on good days or bad days that we have to be concerned about. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Get this with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. There's no variation in our God. There's no shadow in our God. There's no turning in our God. There's no change. He stays the same. We give an account to the one who stays the same. And his judgment is good. His judgment is good. One pastor said this of God's judgment. He said, God's judgment is so absolutely perfect. It's so absolutely good that even the damned will agree with the rightness of their damnation. And because our God is unchanging, that means his standard is unchanging. He doesn't, he doesn't pull the carpet out from under us. His word is fixed. Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 5 about how not one jot or tittle of God's law will pass away until it's fulfilled. God's perfect law, it's fixed. It's fixed. We know His standard. It doesn't doesn't change with culture. It's not null and void because it was written thousands of years ago. Some celebrity or news anchor or pastor who's gone off the rails can't update the intent or the meaning of God's Word. God's word is fixed because his character is fixed. His character is fixed. And and here's the other thing. God's standard is good. 
I don't know if we ever really, do you, have you ever given thought to that? God's ways, God's law, God's standard really is good for us. It really is good for us. And not only is our breaking of God's law a sin against God, but think about the negative impact. Think about the ripple effect that our sin has on us, our bodies, and even, even those close to us. Right? Our lives, our adulteries, our, our stealing, our addictions, our discontent, our, our anger. God's Word is fixed and is clear on these matters, and not just these matters, but so much more in His ways. They really are good for us. They really are healthy for us. You take a, a, a reading of the Old Testament and you see all these washing regulations that, are, that go on in the Old Testament, all these different things that God instructed His people to do and, and, and people that were unclean going outside of the camp for a little while until some inspections happened. Like, those weren't just these restrictive things that God was putting in place. Like, these were ultimately good and healthy for the people of God. Good and healthy. So it's good to be accountable to God. It's good to be accountable to God because God is good. His ways are good. Third, accountability to God is good because it drives us to Christ. It drives us to Christ. It is a mechanism by which we are driven to our Messiah, to Christ Jesus. I began mentioning that Jesus stands before God as our advocate. We just sang about that. I love that song before the throne of God above because it reminds me that what Christ did really is sufficient for me to be in right relationship. Jesus Christ is our advocate. He's our representative, and He has washed our sins clean in His own blood. It's what Jesus has done. Paul, the Apostle Paul, puts it like this in Romans chapter 3. If you kind of wanted to flip to a few earlier chapters here, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then thankfully, verse 24 is there, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We are accountable to God and we're guilty. We're guilty. If you're not a Christian in this room this morning, hear me well. You're guilty before God and you're accountable to him. And Paul reminds us that every single person ever has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We've broken His law. We've broken this law that it's good because God's good, and we've done so because because we think that we know better than God. We get to the root of it. In fact, Romans chapter 1 teaches us that, that, it, that it's our unrighteousness that suppresses 
what's true. What's true about God. And, and what happens is we suppress this knowledge that we're going to give an account to the God of the cosmos. And in exchange, what we say is, I'm going to worship me. I'm going to worship the creature. I'm not worshiping the creator. I'm autonomous. Right? I'm my own person. I'm an individual. And our unbelief in God and our worship of the creature, it, it drives us to commit those outward observable sins. Our unbelief, it drives us away from our king, our good king, and, and it drives us to wicked, dull idols. And here's the thing. We aren't just worshipers of dull idols. We become dull ourselves, right? Because we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. We, we actually, we become like how we worship too, but that's a sermon for another day. And not only do we become dull, but Ephesians chapter 2 describes us as dead. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Ephesus that apart from the intervening work of Jesus Christ, we are dead in our trespasses. We're dead in our trespasses, incapable of becoming alive, incapable of even wanting life. We're content in our deadness. We're content apart from the intervening work of the Holy Spirit in our separation from God, yet the sovereign Spirit of God awakens us, regenerates us, takes these hearts that are stony and callous and dull and gives us a heart of flesh that cherishes God and His ways and embraces Christ and makes us discontent with our sins, makes us discontent with our idols. And, and we begin to, by God's grace, contemplating standing before God and, and being held accountable by Him. And then we begin to hunger and thirst for Jesus and we begin to call out to Jesus who's this satisfactory payment for our sins, knowing that if we're in Christ, if we're in Christ, we can stand before God and be held accountable for what Christ Jesus has done, not be held accountable for what we've done. Fourth, God ensures our perseverance through God-centered local church accountability. God ensures our perseverance through God-centered local church accountability. Local church accountability isn't some legalistic, nosy, gossipy activity that, that's conducted by, by people who have it all figured out. That's not what local church accountability is. And if that's been your experience in the church, then hear me well, it's sin. But local church accountability is about wretched sinners that the, the Bible calls saints, not because we've done anything, but because of everything that Christ has accomplished for us, telling each other, remember Jesus is sufficient. Remember Jesus is sufficient. Forsake everything else. Jesus Christ alone is sufficient. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Hebrews chapter 3, and I'd encourage you to turn there, verses 12 through 14. The author of Hebrews exhorts the Hebraic church. He says, Take care, brothers, 
lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The sin that remains in us, the side of eternity, is attempting to make our hearts calloused. It's attempting to make our hearts calloused, tempted to make our hearts calloused toward Jesus. The sin in us is tempting us to believe that Jesus Christ is not sufficient. The sin that's remaining in us is telling us that God's ways are restrictive. The sin that remains in us is, is telling us that accountability is a waste because the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. That's what the sin in us is telling us. And, and the beauty is, is that God knows that these temptations are there for us. And, and it's His will, according to the Scripture, that none of His people perish. So He's made His local church a means, not the only means, but a means by which He ensures we persevere in the faith. Eugene Peterson uh, passed away uh, just a couple of years ago, I think. He once said that perseverance really is not a result of our determination, but is the result of God's faithfulness. It's not the result of our determination, but it's the result of God's faithfulness. Right? It's, it's God's faithfulness that gives us His local church. I thought about that. This local church is a gift from God, right? It, you may look at one another and be like, yeah, it didn't feel like a gift. But you are a gift. You're a gift so that we can link arms and inspire one another on to persevere in the faith. Now, there's some practical things, and the reason I wanted you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3, I, there's some practical things I want you to notice in this Hebrews passage on what just God-centered, healthy, local church accountability, accountability looks like. And so this is accountability in action. And there's things that could be added to this, but this is just kind of limiting it to this particular passage of Scripture. But accountability in action, first is this. God-centered, healthy, local church accountability, it's proactive. It's proactive. So many times... We ask people to enter into accountability relationships with us, and those accountability relationships are extremely unhealthy because all it is is reactive, or we, we treat it like we're coming to confess some sins to a priest with no intent to actually repent of those sins. But healthy, God-centered local church accountability um, is proactive. It's reaching out to trusted brothers and sisters when you're feeling tempted, when you're feeling discouraged, when you're, when you're suffering, it's getting ahead of it and saying, I need you to pray for me right now because I'm wrestling. I need you to pray with me right now because I'm being tempted. I, re I really need you to pray with me right now because I'm suffering and I'm scared that my suffering is going to cause me to fall into unbelief. So I need you. Help me. Stand in the gap for me. So accountability is first and foremost proactive. That's verse 12 in Hebrews there. It's um, take care, brothers, lest there be found in any of you this evil and believing heart. And so he's, he's, it's a proactive statement. He's saying, you may not, it may not seem like you have an evil, unbelieving heart at the moment, but trust me, it's coming. If you haven't experienced it, trust me, it's coming. So be proactive about it. Be aware of it. Be considerate of it. Secondly, accountability in action knows that the heart is prone toward unbelief. We, we don't... 
we don't uh, live this Christian life where um, it's just um, it's just fantastic all the time, circumstantially speaking. Right? Where our hearts are to- are are prone toward unbelief. We're prone toward looking around at our circumstances and despairing. And, and that's, again, where the local church can come around, link arms, and encourage and remind you Jesus Christ is sufficient. Right? We just sang as a prayer, give me faith. Right? Give me faith, Lord. Faith is a gift from God. It's not something that you just muster up and, and try to conjure up. Faith is a gift from God, and it's available to you by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Accountability in action exhorts, which is to say it encourages, it corrects, it teaches, it rebukes. That's a pretty comprehensive role there. We should be humbly, truthfully, lovingly, encouraging and correcting and teaching and rebuking one another when necessary. Letter D, it's constant. It's constant. Verse 13, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. This is a a constant task. Accountability is... uh, doesn't rest. It doesn't take a vacation. And then letter E, there's an aim, there's a goal. Its aim is perseverance in Christ. It's not tearing down, it's building up, it's spurring one another on, saying, remember the day is coming where King Jesus returns. And he's returning, right? He's coming back. We long for that day. And that's my last point. Accountability to God is good because where we're headed in Jesus is good. Where we're headed in Christ is good. Looked at the prophet Isaiah several times. I would encourage you to, to turn to Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 65, looking at verses 17 to 25, if you're able. I'll give you a moment because I want you to see this. Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. Prophet Isaiah prophesies about this day that King Jesus comes back. And some of this language may be familiar to you because uh, the Apostle John adopts it in the book of Revelation. Particularly in Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John uh, on the island of Patmos reminds the persecuted church of it. But Isaiah prophesied this, for behold, this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sounds of weeping. And the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards 
and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. For they call, I will answer. you imagine? While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. Shall not hurt or destroy, in, or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. This is where we're headed as we persevere. This is where we're headed. On this side of eternity, we, we hope and we wait for this day. We, we hope for this day that the Lord's preparing, this, this day where all those held accountable and are found righteous because of Christ will enjoy this, this eternity where, where, where all things are made new. Right? Those, those in Christ will no longer remember the former things, but there will be unending joy. And, and, and our Savior, our Savior will rejoice and be glad in us. There will be no more crying or distress. There will be no death or sorrow. We'll find joy in our work. We'll find joy in our feasting. We'll find joy in each other. And the reason we're, we're accountable to God is because He's preparing us to enjoy this day. That's what God's doing. Those who despise the ways of God... They won't enjoy the new heavens and the new earth, but those who delight in the law of the Lord will delight in that day that's coming. Will. John Piper in the 80s wrote a poem called Glorious, where he just was thinking through the day that God in Christ makes all things new. And I just wanted to read it to you and, and then close in prayer. He said this, And then the Lord wiped every tear away and turned to see his bride. Her heart had yearned for a thousand years for this. His face shone like the sun and every trace of wrath was gone and in her bliss she heard the master say, watch this. Come forth all goodness from the ground, come forth and let the earth redound with joy. And as he spoke, the throne of God came down to earth and shone like golden crystal full of light and banished once for all the night. And from the throne a stream began to flow and laugh and as it ran it made a river and a lake and everywhere it flowed a wake of grass broke on the banks and spread like resurrection from the dead. And in the twinkling of an eye the saints descended from the sky and as I knelt beside the brook to drink eternal life I took a glance across the golden grass and saw my dog, old Blackie, fast. As she could come, she leaped the stream almost, and what a happy gleam was in her eye. I knelt to drink and knew that I was on the brink of endless joy. And everywhere I turned, I saw a wonder there, a big man running on the lawn. That's old, old John Young with both legs on. And there's old Beryl and Arnold, too, still holding hands beneath the blue, in crystal sky, no stoop, they stand erect, no tremor in their hand. The blind can see a bird on wing, the dumb can lift his voice and sing, the diabetic eats at will, 
A coronary runs uphill. The lame can walk. The deaf can hear. The cancer-ridden bone is clear. Arthritic joints are limber and free. And every pain has ceased to be. And every sorrow deep within and every trace of lingering sin is gone. And all that's left is joy in endless ages to employ the mind and heart to understand and love the sovereign Lord who planned that it should take eternity to lavish all His grace on me. O God of wonder, God of might, grant us some elevated sight of endless days and let us see the joy of what is yet to be. And make your future, may your future make us free and guard us by the hope that we Within the light of candle three, your glory will forever see. Accountability to God is good. It drives us to Christ. And it takes us home. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that it is, it is good for us to be accountable to you. It is good for us to hold one another accountable to our profession of faith, God, as we link arms and persevere and await for the day that Jesus returns. It makes everything different. And so, Lord, help us to be mindful of that day, that day where you wipe away every tear from our eye, And we spend all eternity worshiping you without any hindrance of sin and sorrow and suffering. But joy abounds because we're present with our Savior. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.